0: I'm Amanda Olberg, Managing Editor of Education Next. We invite you to join this week's Education Next podcast, available online Wednesday morning each week at educationnext.org.
1: The Office of Civil Rights in the Department of Education of the United States has been issuing a series of letters to school officials around the country. These letters begin with the words, Dear Colleague, as if the Federal Department of Education is talking to its friends in the education world. But in these letters, the department is actually giving a lot of instructions, you might even say orders, to what should be done in schools. Uh, The letter released in October 2014, which was hardly noticed at the time it was put out, is an especially important document. I'm Paul Peterson, the Editor-in-Chief at Education Next, and today I have with me a legal analyst, Shep Melnick from Boston College, who has looked at a lot of issues of administrative law and the implementation of federal policy over the years, has taken a pretty close look at this letter, which is uh, being his, his analysis is in Education Next uh, in the current issue. Uh, so, Shep, um,
0: what does this letter actually say? Well, it says a lot. It is a, it's a 37 page heavily footnoted letter uh, that has the admirable goal of trying to assure equal access to educational resources for uh, minority students. Um, the way they do that is to make a long list of resources from uh, teacher quality to AP courses to the quality of carpets, I'm not making that up, and says that that schools have to investigate the extent to which these are uh, distributed equally to schools and to classes within schools that have different levels of white and minority students, which requires an enormous record-keeping effort by schools and promises extensive investigations by the Office of Civil Rights about whether these resources are being distributed equally. Now, what equally means is not exactly clear in this document.
1: So they leave themselves some wiggle room. I think they use something, if there's any inequalities, they have to be justified on educational terms, and they don't really explain that very much. Is that right? Yeah,
0: exactly. The basic argument is that if there is a disparate impact of resources on minority students, that's a violation of Title VI of uh, the Civil Rights Act of 1964. If there's a disparate impact, then that impact has to be justified by an important educational goal in the least restrictive manner. Now, what is an important educational goal? I guess we have to look to the Office of Civil Rights to determine what that is. And what is the least restrictive means of doing so, again, that's highly discretionary by the Office of Civil Rights.
1: So uh, has this got a lot of uh, judicial foundation? Has the uh, Civil Rights Act of 1965 been interpreted by the courts in such a way as to give the Office of Civil Rights this kind of authority?
0: In a nutshell, it has no legal authority whatsoever. The Supreme Court has been extremely clear that Title VI does not include disparate, disparate impact analysis. Uh, to violate Title VI, there has to be intentional discrimination. That was the case of Sandoval versus uh, Alexander in 2001. The letter claims that there are constitutional issues involved here, but the court, uh, OCR, fails to mentioned the most important school finance case ever decided by the Supreme Court, which is San Antonio versus Rodriguez, where the court says, we're not going to get involved in this. This is too complicated, um, and we're going to leave that to the political branches. Now, the Supreme Court did leave one potential loophole uh, in Title VI analysis. Uh, They didn't address this because it was never before the court, that perhaps OCR can issue regulations uh, that go beyond the dictates of Title VI. but a Dear Colleague letter is not a regulation. What oh, is a Dear Colleague right, letter? Right, that well, is a good to explain <laughs> that to me. If it's not a regulation, <laughs> then what is it? That is the central question. Um, just a, a bit of uh, boring administrative law. Uh, according to the Administrative Procedures Act, when you issue a regulation, you're supposed to go through the commonsensical. Uh, process of proposing well, a regulation. You have to
1: get people to comment right. on that and say, okay, is this got some, raised raise some issues, some problems, and then you get all kinds of groups on individuals in society who will comment on the regulation before it actually becomes official. It, that-
0: exactly. It's a mechanism both for public participation and for judicial review. Uh, now, for many years, Office of Civil Rights did that, uh, in, in the Obama administration they've given it up completely and they've just issued letters claiming to interpret what Title Six requires.
1: Well does this have a history prior to the Obama administration or is this a new legal
0: development? Well let me, uh, it has been progressing toward, the Office of Rights has been progressing towards less and less public participation. Title Six actually says that when uh, you issue a regulation under it, that has to be signed by the President the last president to sign a, a regulation like that was President Ford. <laughs> <laughs> so the in,
1: Title VI of the Civil Rights Act in 1965 says that if you're going to issue a regulation, it has to be signed by the president. How, do, how, do, how does the Office of Civil Rights, even before the Obama administration, get by without
0: getting the presidential signature? By saying that we're just explaining what Title VI means, and we're not issuing anything new. Um, now, this is one of the most aggressive pieces of regulation in education that the federal government has ever attempted. However, And they claim there's nothing new here. This is just implicit in Title VI. That's why a court would never enforce this. If this ever goes to court, the court would say, number one, go through the procedures. And then when it comes back, they would say, this goes beyond the intent of Title VI. So for that reason, Office of Civil Rights is going to make sure that it can do whatever it can to make sure this never comes to court. So it's going to investigate, it's going to try to embarrass, it's going to try to build bureaucracy within schools, but it's not, when push comes to shove, it's going to back off. Well, will the school districts
1: really be willing to resist this? Are they going to? Or are they just going to go along because perhaps they sort of agree with this and this gives them some leverage against maybe certain school board members or certain interest groups in the local community, and you'll see sort of a joint effort by the federal Department of Education and similarly disposed local officials to push in this direction.
0: I think that's exactly their strategy. Uh, For one thing, what school district wants to say that we are not providing adequate resources to minority students? Uh, No educator wants to do that. Uh, This is uh, a goal that everyone seeks. My view is that it's going to lead to a tremendous amount of paperwork and not much else. But the primary enforcement mechanism, as you suggest, is that they're going to try to find allies within school districts that can use this as leverage to get more money out of school boards or superintendents or uh, local taxpayers. Well,
1: there's a lot of state court decisions that are calling for equal. Uh, treatment uh, across schools Mm -hmm. and across school districts and adequate funding of education. So how do all these state court decisions relate to this federal directive coming from the Office of Civil Rights?
0: Well, we'll find out. That's a very complicated issue because most of those adequacy and equity decisions in state courts don't directly involve race. Um, Usually they are aimed at providing more resources to schools that have a high percentage of uh, black and Hispanic kids. But they don't explicitly involve They this. talk about
1: poverty or disadvantaged kids right. or inequalities from one school district to another uh, without regard to the racial background of the student. So there's, this is a different line of legal analysis you're suggesting.
0: Absolutely. And most of those decisions were about inequalities among school districts. This focuses on inequalities among schools within the same district, and even among classes within particular schools. The scope of this is dramatically greater than the state court decision. So this
1: is really going within the school district and telling a school district, a school board, how they should be spending
0: their money. Absolutely. And at the list of things that have to be considered goes on and on. Uh, there have to be equally effective leadership. There has to be equally effective um, teachers. There has to be equal uh, distribution of AP courses and gifted and talented programs. And the,
1: and the building has to be equal, right? They got to build a new building if there's inequalities in facilities. Right.
0: There seem and the transportation opportunities have to be the same. So, and if there are students who have fewer internet connections at home, the school has to make up for that. Now. I think that's probably a good policy, but how you balance all of these fa- factors and how you determine, for example, whether the extracurricular activities in school A is comparable to those in school B and whether the school newspaper editor uh, advisor is as good here as there is anyone's guess. The amount of arbitrariness is really tremendous.
1: Well now I notice in this uh, letter that there's some talk about collective bargaining agreements and teacher equality mm-hmm. that seems th- that that fits in with this case that has risen in California I think it's called the Friedrichs case where they're um, saying that uh, it's unequal in California to have a collective bargaining that uh, gives seniority rights uh, to older teachers to have their choice of school to teach in, so um, is this going to then uh, be a basis for school districts to say okay we will not enforce the collective bargaining agreement that we have because that's against federal law?
0: Right. This is a very important issue that the uh, letter calls attention to, the fact that schools with poor minority kids don't get as many experienced teachers. Um, I think this is a very serious matter, something we should do something about, but what do we do about it? The letter's answer is that this Dear Colleague letter trumps collective bargaining decisions. That any collective bargaining decision that provides unequal teaching to minority schools is contrary to Title VI. There's go- this, uh, teachers unions are not going to give in lightly to this. That is where if they actually try to do that, the legality of this letter will come into question.
1: So this is probably the part of the letter that is the least likely to be aggressively enforced in the communications with school districts.
0: Right, probably the most beneficial argument they make, but the least likely to actually have some effect. Well, do you, uh, uh,
1: can you tell us exactly what a school district is supposed to do now? It's received the letter, it's had the letter for about a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, now is it time for it to submit a report? Is there some specific instructions in there? You have to send us a document telling
0: us what you're doing? Yes, every school district has to submit a self-assessment covering all of the seven points with multiple sub-points. Basically, how they spend all of their money Uh, evaluating the quality of their teachers, evaluating the quality of their leadership. Uh, They are supposed to have metrics for all of these things and they are supposed to do this on a regular basis and if Office of Civil Rights is not satisfied with this they will launch an investigation. Now I should point out these investigations can take a very long time. Right now Office of Civil Rights is investigating over a hundred universities on sexual harassment regulations. These investigations often last well over a year. The head of the Office of Civil Rights told Congress recently that they had so many investigations uh, before them that they needed twice or more the number of resources. So these investigations will hang over the schools for a long time. And when they commence, they will last forever. Well,
1: have any investigations actually begun? We're one year into this process. Uh, Is it too soon to have an investigation? You first of all have to have these reports submitted. And then after that, presumably, if the Office of Civil Rights is not happy, then they would begin the investigation. So we haven't reached that stage
0: yet. I believe that is true. But the problem of answering that question is the complete lack of transparency in the Office of Civil Rights. they don't explain the bases for many of their decisions. They don't uh, reveal who's being investigated unless they want to embarrass the institution. So what goes on in that organization is never very clear. Well, uh, so you think school districts,
1: are they going to just ignore it? Are they going to just say, we haven't got time to fill out this document? Or are they going to... Do you give them a bunch of bureaucratic language that will assure the uh, office that all is well? Or are they gonna use this as a basis for action? What's gonna really happen here?
0: My guess is that they're going to do what large bureaucracies usually do, which is to have pro forma compliance. They will fill out the forms. Uh, they will show how well they're doing. They will make a few minor changes Uh, to indicate that they're moving in the right direction. They will, for example, my guess is, offer more AP courses in uh, schools with a large number of uh, minority students, even though that might not be the best thing that is most needed in those schools. Uh, So pro forma compliance will probably drive the response.
1: But how about if you have different Mm -hmm. student test performance? Let's Mm -hmm. say minority students aren't doing as well as white students, Mm -hmm. which is Probably going to be the case in many schools. Um, is that going to be a basis for action?
0: My guess is probably not. I mean, that is the crucial problem that we should all try to address. I mean, that is, I, I, I'll just say that while I might sound here as though uh, I'm not concerned about these inequalities, uh, both my daughter and my stepdaughter have devoted their professional lives to doing something about achievement gap this is something I care very deeply about and I think that this is not going to uh, solve that problem or address it because it's going to focus so much on inputs It's not going to say how well are the students doing um, and what are we doing that uh, could help and what are we doing that can hurt so the the greatest danger is this will refocus attention on inputs rather than on performance well, but maybe this is more or less
1: a, a bureaucratic document that's going to get a bureaucratic response mm-hmm. and its actual consequences will not amount to much. Maybe it will turn out to be a dead letter. What do you think?
0: That, that is possible and it really depends on the point that you made earlier. Is how will schools use it? Will they... Uh, try to do as little as possible? Will they use it to try to leverage funds? How aggressive will the Office of Civil Rights be? uh, This is, they're throwing this letter out without really very much understanding of what the consequences will be. And we're only learning that. And that's one reason why we have to pay attention to it. This has gotten received almost no attention. Um, So the spotlight on what will happen is... One of the things I think we're trying to achieve. Well, thank you, Shep. This is Shep Melnick from
1: Boston College, who is a legal analyst in the Department of Political Science there, and we've been discussing the Office of Civil Rights letter to colleagues in schools of education, no, uh, school districts around the country, uh, asking them to take uh, any actions to rectify any disparities in the provision of educational resources to their students. So thank you, Shep, for uh, illuminating this uh, amazing topic. Thank you, Bob.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Education Next's weekly podcast, released every Wednesday morning. For more on education reform, visit us online, educationnext.org.